This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Bayern Munich and Barcelona played one of the most memorable games in Champions League history just over two years ago. On Tuesday, the teams meet again, and John Muller is here to talk about how those two squads have changed and how Frankie de Jong's role with Barcelona has changed right alongside them. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Monday, September 12th. We're starting off this Monday by revisiting a result that was a shock to the system when it happened just over two years ago. I'm referring, of course, to Bayern Munich's astounding 8-2 win over Barcelona in that season's Champions League quarterfinal. This was a single-leg quarterfinal that was played behind closed doors in Portugal because of the pandemic, so pretty much everything about this game was very, very strange. But we're talking about it now because these two teams are going to meet again on Tuesday in the Champions League. And a lot has happened since 2020. And here to run through how both sides have changed, how one player in particular has fit the whole time, is my colleague, senior writer for tactics and analysis here at The Athletic, John Muller. John, what do you remember about that 8-2 game? I remember Barcelona basically being extremely slow to everything that happened. <laughs> is, that, is, is that about right? I remember pain. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Barcelona fan and that game just breaks my heart. I, I just rewatched parts of it to talk about it and man, it hurts even more the second time around. Um, yeah, Barcelona was slow. Uh, that, that was, you know, they just looked like they were playing in a different era of the game than Bayern Munich, right? Bayern Munich looked like they'd been sent from the future back to Barcelona's past and they were, they were fast, they were pressing, they were transitioning quickly at goal and Barcelona you know, the, the best team in the world at building up couldn't get out of their own half at all. Like, they just could not build up. Uh, and it was really remarkable the extent to which they struggled to do that. It was also remarkable watching it now that, yes, both of these teams have changed a lot, but also, like, parts of the core haven't changed much at all. And we're going to see a lot of the same players on the pitch in similar roles this week that we did back then. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I had forgotten... By the way, like I, as I was researching, like who's still around and who has left since then, I had forgotten that Kike Setien, that was his last game for Barcelona. He was coaching Barcelona in that game. He was fired pretty much right afterwards, and he has yet to get another job since then, which I think is kind of surprising or maybe kind of not. It, it, it was a bad game, but it was just one. <laughs> it's, uh, so that's a little bit interesting. Ronald Koeman came and went for a season. Now Xavi is there. This guy named Lionel Messi isn't there anymore, but he was in, in, in that game. Suarez is gone. Griezmann is on loan. Vidal gone. But Marc-Andre Ter Stegen is still there at Barcelona. Gerard Piquet is still there. Um, Jordi Alba is still there. Sergi Busquets is still there. And Frankie de Jong is still there. You have a story about Frankie de Jong this week in The Athletic. And he was the subject of one of the weirder uh, transfer battle stories we've seen in recent years. Uh Man United really, really wanted him, 
but he did not really, really want Man United, <laughs> basically. Or Chelsea. The, it, or, or Chelsea, or anywhere. He, he really enjoys living in Barcelona, and who can blame him? And playing for Barcelona, and also who could blame him? Um, what is it about him as a player that you find so interesting that led you to sort of write this piece? So the thing about Frankie de Jong is that from basically the moment that he broke into Ajax's first team, uh, everyone has been certain that this is a once in a generation player. Uh, you know, this guy is, he was as a teenager drawing comparisons to Franz Beckenbauer and Johan Cruyff. And like, you just don't hear that. Like, especially, yeah. you know, Dutch people don't just jump to, Hey, let's compare this kid to Cruyff, right? Something was right. special about him. Something was very different. And yet at 25 years old, you know, in the, in the prime of his playing career, he's not necessarily a first team player for Barcelona. And they were very ready to push him out the door a little too ready to push him out the door uh, to, to try to get some money for him because it just hasn't quite worked out the way that everybody thought that it would when he came to Barcelona. So what I wrote about was, was trying to figure out what he is as a player and, you know, what are his strengths, his weaknesses, and what would it look like for him to like find a role where he could be that once in a generation talent. And what are these different places that, that, that he's been tried? Because just off the top of my head, having not looked at any of the data, I remember seeing him discussed as like whether he's best maybe as a center back. And then you see him discussed as a defensive midfielder that is sort of going to take over for Busquets when he inevitably slows down, which has yet to happen. Uh, or as an attacking midfielder, like we're now covering like basically the entire field, every position except for target striker. Is, is, is he almost maybe too versatile for his own good? Yeah, I think that's one way of putting it. Uh, he he can play anywhere, and he has some strengths that are suited to different spots on the field and also some weaknesses that don't fit there. And he almost has to have a hybrid role that combines various what we think of as normal positions. He came up from young Ajax. Uh, Eric Ten Hag brought him into the first team as a center back and then converted him to a defensive midfielder. Uh, but he was playing in a double pivot with Scherner, and he was like dropping outside to the left of the center backs a lot so that he was in space facing play and he would take off on those long dribbles that everybody, like if you close your eyes and picture Frankie de Jong, that's what you see is him dribbling up, you know, from beside the center backs into the heart of the defense, dragging defenders around, you know, pushing people off, jumping over them and then laying the ball off. It's, it's very cinematic. It's very dramatic. Um, right. But that kind of, you know, very adventurous uh, player on the ball that role doesn't work when you're a single pivot in a 4-3-3. And a 4-3-3 has been Barcelona's default you know, formation for years and years. And so when he came in to Barcelona under Ernesto Valverde, Valverde tried him very briefly, like at the very start of his Barcelona career, as a Sergio Busquets replacement. People thought that he was going to like replace Busquets that season. And that did not happen uh, because yeah. you can't you can't be just like running off, you know, wherever you want to go if you're supposed to be the one guy anchoring the midfield at the base of the midfield. So what Valverde did was move him I think, mostly to right central midfield. And by the time Ronald Koeman came in, Koeman said, oh, no, 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 you guys, you guys are all idiots like Setien and Valverde. Uh, you guys just don't know. Like he needs to play on the left side of a double pivot. That's what he played for me when I was coaching the Netherlands. It worked there. Why wouldn't it work here? And so he reshuffled all of Barcelona to accommodate Frankie de Jong in that double pivot next to Sergio Busquets. And it was a disaster uh, for <laughs> Ronald Koeman's first several months in charge. He was trying to make this double pivot happen and Barcelona wasn't getting the pressure. And de Jong as the kind of creator out of the back, wasn't really making Barcelona better in possession either. 
Um, and, you know, in the meantime, you had this dude called Messi who wanted the ball up on the other side of the field. So, right. so what De Jong eventually became was this like box arriving guy uh, who would play as a central midfielder and more than his on-ball skills, he was valuable for his off-ball runs uh, alongside the striker in the channels. And he's, he's actually really good at that, which is not something that you saw at Ajax. It's, it's a skill set that's been used very heavily at Barcelona. But it's been used heavily at Barcelona in large part because they don't need him at the back. Uh, Busquets can build up just fine. And when you put him in central midfield, you know, he's, he's a guy who, when he's on the ball, he likes to be facing play. And he really likes to take his time on the ball. He That's something that I highlighted in the piece. If you look at every midfielder in the Champions League over the last like five years, uh, he takes the longest time between receiving the ball and doing his next action at Ajax. He also takes the third longest time out of every midfielder <laughs> at Barcelona. Like Even when you shuffle him around in different positions, this is just who he is. He's, he's a guy who's very patient in possession. And that doesn't necessarily work in a fast positional play team. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So what should we watch for from Frankie de Jong on Tuesday against Bayern Munich? How has he been fitting into Barcelona this season under Xavi? Um the fact that he stuck around at all, I think, was a surprise to a lot of people, considering how how badly Barcelona wanted to get rid of him. Is there a role for him, basically, in, in this team right now? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that we should watch for is whether he plays on Tuesday sure. against Bayern Munich. Uh, it's important. It's, it's, it's not guaranteed. Uh, it seems like Xavi's preference this season so far has been Pedri on the left side of the midfield and Gavi, uh, who's now, what, 18, uh, on the right yeah. side. So Frankie is getting displaced by an 18-year-old, just like he got displaced by an 18-year-old Pedri. Um, that said, you know, Xavi's been trying different formations. He's been trying Frankie in different roles. Uh, after basically rejecting Frankie as a single pivot uh, in the spring, he's tried him in there as kind of, you know, Busquets is getting older. He's subbed him in in some of, some of those sort of B-team games. I don't think he's going to do that against Bayern Munich. We might see what we saw last weekend where Frankie played on the left side of the fourth or three midfield. And he was doing that thing where he drops outside the center backs and he was playing a lot of switches. Uh, he was playing very long balls, which is not traditionally part of his game. Uh, but because Barcelona has so much more width under Javi, because they play like really expansive in possession, uh, he was doing that. And then he was making his off ball runs into the box. So he's kind of doing both of the things that he's really good at in one role. And if we see him, on Tuesday, I think it might be in something like that. The only problem is that's Pedri's position and you don't bench Pedri in the Champions League. Or ever, based on the number of games that he's played uh, <laughs> right. in, his, in, his, in his young career so far. Uh, touching really quickly on Byron before we before we uh, close this episode, Hansi Flick was coaching Byron in that A2 uh, game. He is now with Germany. Julian Nagelsmann has since taken over. Uh, the team is, you know, they have a lot of the same characters, but one one player they don't have anymore is Robert Lewandowski, who went to, uh, oh, that's right, Barcelona. 
Um, they're still very good. They're good in a different way now, probably against uh, under Nagelsmann. But clearly, there was a huge gap in 2020 in this in this game, as evidenced by the scoreline. How much in your mind has Barcelona closed that in the years since? Yeah, I mean, it certainly helps to just take your opponent's best player um, and put him in the center of your attack. Sure. Um, I think, to me, looking back at the A2, one of the most notable things is that Barcelona didn't have wingers. Uh, they played with Messi on the right, who, of course, came inside under Luis Suarez, and they played with Arturo Vidal on the left. Uh, so they essentially had a fourth midfielder just kind of wandering around. Um, yeah. And and so as a result, they didn't have those like high, wide outlets to help them when Bayern came into their half and pressed them really aggressively. Um, and so Ter Stegen was panicking, you know, Busquets was getting isolated. De Jong didn't really know what to do as a central midfielder there on the left. Uh, and they were just getting slaughtered. Uh, so Byron's still going to press like that. That's just who Byron is, even under Nagelsmann, where they're capable of playing kind of a, a slower tempo. They're capable of playing more in possession. They're still yeah. a very hard, hard pressing team. They're still a transitioning team. Uh, and that's, I think we're going to see a lot of that. The question is, has Barcelona gotten better in possession? Have they figured out, you know, this positional play that Xavi wants to play so that they can get through that? And I think a lot of that is going to come through the wingers, uh, through we'll probably see Rafinha on the right wing for Barcelona, Dembele on the left wing. Both are very good, uh, very talented players who can play one-on-one and who can play at pace. So if you press in their half, you get it out to winger and they just take off and, and Lewandowski's there to finish the move. Well, it should be said also that Bayern has tied their, their last three games in the Bundesliga. So it's not as if they're setting the world on fire to start the season, though they did start it off with, a, I believe, like a 7-0 victory over Bochum. So they're capable of big performances, but this is still going to be a big test for both teams. It'll be interesting to see what happens. John, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to John Muller for coming on. His story about Frankie de Jong is linked in the show's description wherever you happen to be listening. It's really interesting. goes very much in depth as to how Frankie de Jong's role has changed with Barcelona over time. Worth a read. Check it out. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic and listening in the app. Thanks so much for listening and happy soccer to you all.